Welcome to Supply Circles, stories from the innovators, disruptors, and improvers in supply chain management today, brought to you by AI Group. Hello, I'm James Scotland, coming to you today, as always, from the Yungamba language region. It's beautiful today, and I'm excited about today's episode. This is Supply Circles, the podcast that asks the question, how can we in Australia create supply chains that are resilient and sustainable at a time when we're implementing the challenges of the three Ds? You know them, digitalization to keep up with your peers in the industries, decarbonisation to meet your legal requirements and targets by 2050, and in some states even earlier, and ongoing disruptions, which come in many shapes, not only pandemics, but also industry disruptions, product disruptions, logistical interruptions and challenges, technology changes, global inflation, and so much more. Each fortnight, I delve into different sections of the end-to-end supply chain. I chat with fascinating and interesting people, and we try to have a little bit of fun along the way. Uh, Now, I must say, before we start, I must say thank you for all the feedback to the show. It's great to hear from you and to read such nice comments. It really makes my day. Thank you for taking the time to let me know your thoughts. Probably the biggest topic in supply chains and the biggest amount of feedback I get at the moment is about the arrival of AI and automation into the visibility of the lexicon of the general public. Last November's arrival of chat uh, GPT seemed to create this whole interest in AI and it has been in supply chains and in business for you know, quite some time now. So I thought we should talk about that today. And to help me do that is the incredibly interesting what can i say about you matt let's just say hello matt <laughs> my guest is matt dunn hello matt hey james how are you going thanks for having me on tell us your story i seeing as i stumbled that, <laughs> that <in> chat, <laughs> maybe you can tell the matt dunn story better than i can sure so um i'm currently working at the missing link so we're a tech company specializing in it services and cyber security and the, the area that i head up is automation and how i got here so i started in analytics uh, in the early 2000s, and I moved to management consulting for about 15 years. And a lot of what I was doing was around improving operational efficiency. And it's there that I first heard about automation. And here I am. Um, a great accent. Is, is that uh, English? It's uh, Zimbabwean originally, actually. Really? A, a okay. decade in England might have uh, uh, toned that down somewhat, though. Well, that's a, big, that's a big leap. I would imagine that when you were growing up in Zimbabwe, it wasn't necessarily uh, tech central. <laughs> Quite the opposite, which I remind my daughters of uh, on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. And uh, you worked for some pretty big consulting firms. It wasn't just uh, on your own and eking out of the living. Yeah, so in supply chain, so uh, Portland Group, um, they, uh, subsequently they joined Infosys and with KPMG. And then KPMG, yeah. yeah. So you got some, you got access to some, some pretty good thinking and some, some leading idea makers, I guess. Mm. Uh, was that when you got that interest in automation and, and AI or, or was that afterwards? Yeah, it was actually, so um, I'm generally interested in new technology. So when I was at KPMG, there was a dinner on level 12 there and I was interested in what dinners were on level 12. It was usually only the partners that got to go up there. And this dinner was on intelligent automation. So um, ah. uh, it blew my mind. And not long after that, I actually joined a former colleague to form a startup. And mm-hmm. that was around automation. And then 
with generative AI, it was actually a, a Teams chat uh, from one of our own directors um, here at The Missing Link when ChatGBT was released, suggesting that we needed to check it out immediately, which I did. And nearly a year later, I'm surprised almost on a daily basis with what's possible and people use it with, uh, using it. Yeah, so that when you had your, uh, your mind blown at that dinner, that was only just the start of being, uh, mm. you know, constant explosions. Yeah. Yeah, uh, on our last uh, uh, episode, I was talking to John Grimes uh, from the Smart Energy Council, and he went to a dinner uh, and he heard about solar energy and he got all excited about it and became his life work. Uh, and back in 2000, I said at the time, back in 2000, uh, I went, I was in the, uh, the banking industry and I went to a... Uh, uh, a seminar where they talked about internet banking not being what it's all about, what's going to happen in the near future is mobile banking. We're going to do everything on our phone. It's going to be amazing. It seems like we are all sort of went through this exciting phase where a whole new world was opened up to us. Mm. Was it a whole new world? Was it like, oh, I never imagined this. I never thought of this before. Do you mean in terms of AI or automation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, both, well, both, I guess. Yeah, well, in, in, in automation, um, well, frankly, like I would have thought that by now it would be more commoditized in that it seems like such a no-brainer to automate, but a lot of organizations don't have time to automate, which is almost a like a circular reference error. Don't have time yeah, to automate, yeah, but it could yeah. save you the time. So actually, the adoption of it isn't as uh, extensive as I would have thought. Um, but with AI, because it's so immediately uh, useful to the end users, the adoption is... Um, uh, like night and day as far as people knowing what's possible and then adopting it in their day jobs. Tell me about generative AI. What, what, explain that. What is it? Okay. So, well, AI has been around for a long time, but specifically a, a generative AI. So it's, it's a, think of it as a computer version of a brain that's been exposed to most of the information on the internet. So scientific papers, Wikipedia pages, Reddit posts. And once it's read a few billion sentences, it starts to make sense of the language that we use. And as they kept on feeding it more content, it got better and better at being able to predict what the answers to a question would be. So it's simply using statistics to work out what's the most likely next string of words in response to a user's prompt. It's quite abstract. So a few examples might be a, um, a policy is actually the, the area where I most often hear it being used. Draft me a new uh, privacy policy. Now it's seen thousands of user policies, uh, uh, end user policies, so to be able to write a really clear policy based on the average of everything that it's seen, which is great for things that are generally accepted as being true, but if then more polarizing uh, topics so such as climate change or Donald Trump or um, blockchain, for example, it's going to assume that whatever it's seen most often is the truth. So it, it, uh, it'll give you the view of whoever's shouted loudest. And I guess uh, it's not always the smartest people that are shouting the loudest about a topic. So it's, it's good for things that are generally true, but the, the, the more divisive issues, it's going to be um, swayed towards the common opinion. So it has a bias. Yeah. Yeah, inherent. Yeah. And that's part yeah. of OpenAI's uh, challenge was to try and remove those biases to the extent possible. So testing it, seeing what it says in response to, uh, to those test questions and um, I guess bumping it into shape so that it's closer to what the truth is accepted to be. It's an interesting question, isn't it? I remember um, when I was back in the, the banking industry a couple of decades ago, they, they had uh, these, these uh, computer systems in place that were giving approvals to... Uh, 
for, for house loans. Mm. I'm trying to remember the story. So it's a, it's a, it's a bank. Uh, people are typing in information, and the computer is deciding yes or no to 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 house loans. Uh, but when they went back and checked it, they found out that it had an unconscious bias against um, black people because mm-hmm. of uh, the social. Um, demographics that they were punching in. They came from this suburb uh, as opposed to, you know, forget how much the income or other stuff. But because they came from that suburb or they were that or they were that, it, over time it ended up with this bias because they were bad, they were bad debts. They were making decisions on the wrong, on the wrong, wrong issues. And so the argument was, no, Australian, uh, sorry, humans can do that better, which is not actually true. Have you seen that before? Is that what the, the overriding issue is with, with AI generally, this idea that it's based on bias? Yeah, it's exactly the, the, the reason that OpenAI was formed. So the, the people who made ChatGPT uh, was to be able to make use of all this information, but to remove those sorts of unfair biases that when you let a machine make decisions, it doesn't unfairly, um, uh, you know, disadvantage uh, anyone that shouldn't be. And it's, yeah, fair. Yeah. Well, let's pick that up again in a, in a minute. I'd love to go back and just talk to you about what you've learned about a supply chain over the years. Um, when you're working with it in the consultancy, you're obviously deep, delving quite deeply. Um, we got to COVID and then everything changed and we suddenly discovered that we'd made some fundamental Mistakes. What have you learned over the over the period that you've been in uh, an assessor, I guess, of supply chain? Yeah. So, well, it's interesting because I did spend a lot of those fifteen years in consulting in supply chain, uh, moved into automation, and then more recently, so earlier this year, I went to a large supply chain conference in Sydney. And over the day of talks, aside from the um, the type of automation that was going on in, and I'm talking about the, the mechanical type in warehouses, that's probably the biggest change yeah, that yeah. I saw. But aside from that, I have to say that like, the issues hadn't changed much. The general themes were skills shortage, um, <clears throat> employee retention, lack of good quality data to be able to make decisions. And uh, m- many people in supply chain still operating on Excel, Outlook, and, uh, and whiteboards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, inventory management, always yeah. a big one. Yeah. Uh, and, and often the lack of our ability to respond rapidly is based on the data that we have. Excel doesn't help mm. us that way. Yeah. Uh, what was what have you uh, has the attitude towards technology changed a lot in the time? I would say yes. I mean, I think it's a Dorothy thing. So I think we've gone from being no, we can do this instinctively to we need more data. Is that your? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd say that there was more awareness of it, but generally, and there was a, a really wide range of um, organisations there so to ones that you'd you'd think would have. Um, amazing supply chain departments operating using AI to do their their uh, strategic forecasting. But a, a lot of it was, we know what it is now, um, but we aren't ready to adopt it. So that here are the hurdles that we're still encountering. So there, there, there was some uptake, but still shockingly little as far as the, the, the audience. So they did a few polls in the audience and still a lot of people are stuck with uh, we are where we were, but we have more information as to what else is possible. One of the things that uh, that I remember from my time in supply chains is that years ago, you know, the uh, the ultra senior management would be saying, "We need a, a, a international strategy. We need a, a China strategy. We need to start sort of you know accessing the opportunities that are around the world." And then a little while later, we came up with the uh, we need a blockchain policy. <laughs> there's, there's sort of all these buzz concepts 
is um, is AI the, the latest buzz concept? Should yes. I put that into my, <laughs> You're so board, right. my board report? Yeah. Yes, uh, uh, for years I've heard uh, talks of blockchain at innovation conferences and it's always the same. So it's pro- promises of a revolution, the benefits of a single distributed ledger, source of truth, and it's um, the attendees all nod along to it, but they come out asking the same question, which is, how do I use that? And I think generative AI is very different because it's immediately useful to the end user. So five minutes after setting up your chat GPT login, you're able to get it to draft your agenda for the next supply chain management meeting. So the value is more apparent and it's more accessible. And I'm not saying that blockchain isn't useful, but we didn't see a million users of blockchain within the first week of it being released. And that's what we did see with chat GPT. Why didn't we? Uh, I mean, it seemed to offer a lot, you know, this idea of, uh, instant payments, uh, instant analysis, understanding security. There's, there's a lot of good options for it, but it just never really seemed to add up to the end result. It was too difficult to integrate with. So people mm-hmm. needed to okay. uh, have their systems talking to, um, you know, and ready to be able to access blockchain. But there were steps that um, were too difficult, it turns out, for many to be able to actually integrate with it. Whereas when you've got your end users directly integrating with something, it's uh, like a lot, a lot more seamless. Will it will it still continue? Will blockchain be oh, one of the not, systems? It's not going anywhere, but I think uh, like one could help the other in terms of AI might help um, organisations to have their data clean and more, more ready to be able to adopt blockchain, um, and also even writing code to integrate with uh, with blockchain technology. It might speed it up. Uh, so I don't think it's going away, but I do think it has been eclipsed as far as um, usefulness of a technology across uh, any function within a business. The uh, the COVID years saw a whole bunch of changes uh, in everyone, in the way we lived and where we operated and in the way we, we managed our supply chains. In fact, supply chains came to the fore, which was a good and a bad thing. Mm. And I heard someone uh, a while ago say that if people understood supply chain, understood global supply chains, they wouldn't be so annoyed when things went on the shelves. They'd be more amazed that so many things were on the shelves. Do you think that's a, a nice way of explaining what supply chain is, uh, or is that just too, you know, pretty? Yeah, I, um, you know, I think it is a, a nice way of, of explaining it. It's, um, I think, it, it, supply chain became. Uh, what I think uh, COVID did it was almost marketing for supply chain to make it more visible as part of how things arrive yeah. on the shelf. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas, uh, yeah, it also marketing for and against because it, it highlighted supply chain, but also highlighted where the problems were. So, yeah, I think COVID definitely had a lot of diff- uh, interesting impacts on business in general and supply chain largely. But I, again, the, the, the conference that I went to was post COVID. And mm. the issues weren't hugely different. They they did mention COVID a, a lot of the, a lot of the time, but it was more around the the impacts of inflation and how it was difficult to keep supply chain costs under control, as opposed to the lingering issues with just supply of goods. Yeah, yeah. The, the reason I sort of say that be, is because over the years, the supply chains has become incredibly complex, mm. and I don't think the complexity is going to go away. We just you know we have to source from all around the world. We have multiple layers of 
of supply. We have the just in time versus you know just in case and the, mm. the, the 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 critical items and all this sort of thing. It's very very complex now, and so we we need to have systems in place, and yet it's still very much based on people and yeah and and and, and how people work together. Yeah, and I have to say, like in in supply chain, it's um it was uh, interesting to me over the years how there's a disproportionate number of engineers that end up in supply chain. And the reason is supply chain is largely problem solving and mm -hmm. uh, engineering solutions to, to challenges where you've got a lot of variables in those supply chains that need to be uh, optimized. So uh, yeah, in, engineers in supply chain uh, more than most other professions, I'd say. Apart from engineering, yeah, yeah, because it's uh, ultra efficiency. It's uh, mm. it's it's making decisions at, at uh, x and y points to make sure that we get to ultra efficiency. In fact, to the detriment, perhaps, to having too many risks built into the system. Yeah, uh, we, we discovered in COVID. Yeah, uh, reading a very interesting book, the the new Elon Musk book by oh, yeah. Walter Isaacson, and there's a lot of supply chain and process uh, engineering in there. So it's uh, very interesting as far as he's a process guy and um, a, a problem solver. And yeah, I'd thoroughly recommend the book for those who are into process and um, for, for supply chain professionals, because there's a lot of, uh, I guess, efficiencies that he gains and why he makes great companies, just eliminating parts of a process and making slick supply chains. I think this is the fundamental of supply chain and what this podcast and what my life has been about is because when I look at the business, I'm a humanist, I see it as, humans working together mm. but they work together uh, and and build and operate great systems efficient mm. systems and in, in my time over the, the, the decades we've gone from quite simple excel type systems to incredibly complex systems mm. and it still works uh so we need a combination of both mm. I mean, we've had people on this uh, on the show who have uh a legal degree because they're in procurement and they need to work out the mm. the, um, the contracts. But then we've had engineers as well who have done a great job at, at mm. uh, risk assessment. You know, yeah. if you talk to most people who are engineers in the in the supply chain, they're, they're risk assessors. Mm -hmm. It's this combination of people and um, uh, systems. So let's when we come back, let's talk about that and yeah. uh, and delve into how AI and people can work together. Before we go, what brought you to Australia? How did you end up here? Oh, it was actually um, that consulting work that I did. So it was a BAE Systems um, gig that was going in South Australia. I was being rained on in uh, in London at the time. And so it was essentially a work opportunity that um, uh, helped me to get away to, uh, from that weather and back to more what I'm used, used to in Zimbabwe, which is uh, some proper sunshine and uh, hot summers. <laughs> <laughs> Zimbabwe, not really an option given the, uh, the economic opportunities there aren't, aren't uh, abundant. Yeah, a lot of uh, people from the southern parts of Africa in Australia because the climate is, uh, is very similar. Mm. And, um, and hello to all my South. African friends. All right, we'll be back in uh, in a minute and we'll talk about people and systems. If you have supply chain or business improvement challenges, contact AI Group's Business Improvement and Growth Hub. The Big Hub is a library of practical and relevant resources designed to assist member businesses to grow and improve. The Big Hub also includes an extensive network of experienced pre-qualified business improvement consultants. For more details, Contact big at aigroup.com.au. That's big at aigroup.com.au. 
I'm talking to uh, Matt Dunn, and we're talking about AI, and Matt's not uh, a bot, <laughs> he's a person. <laughs> well, let's talk about this issue we mentioned before the break, uh, about people and and AI and automation all working together. So you've been involved almost you know, from from the start, I guess. You've been around for a long time and you've you've grown up with it. Tell me tell me about how it's working now. How do how how will AI and and people integrate? Should I be worried if I'm a human, I'm gonna lose my job? No, so we work with our clients to help them adopt AI and automation. And and what we find is that the better a person is at their job, the more value that they'll get from a technology. So uh, people's domain expertise is still going to be required into the future. They're just going to have more interesting jobs as a result of the more mundane work being taken over by um, AI and automation. So less messing around. You mentioned Excel earlier. So less messing around in Excel and more thinking and problem solving, which I think is the more rewarding part of work. And look, if, if we had exactly the right amount of people to do the supply chain work that um, that we had to do, um, then I think there could be a challenge with jobs being lost, but we don't have enough people. So if anything, it can solve the issues where we don't have the capacity where we will in future. So there'll be some jobs that'll be eliminated by AI, but in most cases, it's going to change them rather than take them. And uh, yeah, that skill shortage being a recurring theme. So there's a study by a few studies by MIT and Stanford that have shown a range of productivity boosts across industries. So they compared people using ChatGPT against those not using it. And what they found is that productivity increased by, across the studies, it was an average of 20%. So we'd be able to achieve more, but be it maybe even have some more work-life balance while we do it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because apparently you can fly a plane, you know, you know the, the, the latest... Airbus, whatever, can can go from gate to gate, uh, from mm. from from Heathrow to JFK, uh, gate to gate, without a pilot, uh, and yet we don't do that. Mm. Why not? Why not? Yeah, <laughs> you still got to have people to manage the technology. So I guess it's um, uh, yeah, it's about risk, as you mentioned earlier, with the the engineering challenges. Uh, yeah, um, is it you know like generative AI? You you, you have seen in, particularly in the early days some of the things that ChatGPT would spit out that would be clearly wrong. So mm-hmm. some people would ask it things like, how long will it take to walk across the English Channel? And it would give an answer and they'd be like, ha, 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 like, uh, we've, we've tricked AI. And look, it will get better over time because every time that we put in prompts, it's learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact of the matter is, like, whatever comes out, it still requires a human to sense check it because uh, we're the experts in our domain and we can make sense of it. It doesn't actually know when it's wrong, by the way. So when ChatGPT gives you an answer, all it's giving you is the most likely answer to your question. It doesn't understand when it's wrong. So it's kind of like, it's like having a, an arrogant intern who mm. will... Um, I was going to say, I've had, I've, had, uh, I've had colleagues like that who didn't know when they were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's like that. So we, so we still need the experts and we still need um, yeah, humans in between the decisions that get made so that they aren't purely autonomous. But if you look at something like, say, Amazon, from placing an order, all the things that happen in between uh, you placing an order to being notified on your Alexa device that something is about to arrive that day. Like there's an incredible amount of automation in that, but they still have people in their company. They're just able to achieve way more with fewer people. 
I went to a, a conference in Sydney for supply chain. They have they have them in Sydney far too often, uh, where there was a fellow from Amazon there uh, yeah. uh, from the states, and he was saying Amazon Prime has a has an offer of you would know I think it's three hours delivery within three hours. So it's got this uh, automation in place where is if um, Matt goes onto his Amazon Prime site at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon and starts uh, uh, typing in. Uh, eyelashes or something um it, the the automation works out it's not matt it's his daughter and whose daughter's 15 and she doesn't have any eye makeup that matches her dress for this evening and so it's a major crisis you know it's the end of the world as we know it uh, so the machines as soon as you start typing just the you know just the sort of eye the machine starts heading over to where the eye part is and it's already doing the pick and pack while she's still finishing the order and they've they've made the questions as to what you want in order of the the pick and pack process and so they can get it done very very fast and this is across acres of warehouse got things zooming all over the place in the in the ceiling is that right is that or is that just a good story so I don't know about uh, um, the, the the mechanics of uh, while the search is actually happening, but I am wearing a little bit of um, mascara today. Thanks for noticing. That wasn't my daughter ordering it. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, they are automation gods as far as so I'm. I'm not sure about during the chat, uh, but like during the prompt, like it's it possible though, wouldn't it? Yeah. it would be possible. Yeah, absolutely. That type of automation in warehousing. Or in, is possible that you could could pre-program to understand what's most likely to happen. Yeah. By the way, the speaker also said that if it was five o'clock and Matt went on, and it would start heading towards the red wine section because <laughs> it's Friday <laughs> night. <laughs> oh, does know me then? <laughs> I'm making assumptions about you, but <laughs> this is the sort of this is sort of. Um, smarts that that the uh the technology can bring us we can get a pick and pack working very fast and it's a, a good example of data and statistics it has they have so much data and they're making the most of it so they would know like on average what a, a user is doing at that time and then also uh, based on what i've ordered in the past they've got my data along with all of their historic data they can make a pretty good assumption about what i'm about to do next and like related products for example my, my mind is obviously currently in the automation section of of our, our, our discussion where is automation going to go i know that we've had plenty of discussions um on this podcast and elsewhere about the the relationship between people and robots working together cobalts i think they call them eh? uh, mm -hmm. they work together where do you think it's going to go uh, for the business people who are listening to this you know what should they be thinking about in terms of automation and people um, so it, I think with um, AI gives automation a shot in the arm. So automation has been around for a while. So like as far as what um, business owners can and um, operators listening uh, can do, I'd actually in encourage them to get their users to start using ChatGPT if they aren't already and get used to prompting and understanding what the art of the possible is. And um, once they understand that, then they understand like a, very, a limited version of what automation is, because essentially all of it is, is it's a machine doing part of your role for you. And um, then uh, within supply chain, so we have heat maps of typical processes that can be automated. Um, and uh, it's just a case of getting started. It's, it's the thing about automation, remember I mentioned earlier that a lot of organizations seem to be too busy to automate. <laughs> Start somewhere, start small. And um, so first of all, understanding what's possible with automation, 
and then starting somewhere because that'll get your momentum going. There's uh, Cotter who's got these uh, eight steps for great change management. And one of them is just getting an early win. And then mm -hmm. you can use that to advertise internally. Here's what's possible. Now let's build on this. So it is a, a case of rather than thinking, oh, we have to automate our entire business and become like Amazon. It's just about, you know what, automate one main mundane task that makes a difference to say your supply chain analyst's life and go from there. So yeah, a lot of businesses would already have, well, every business would already have a lot of, a lot of um, com computers, a lot of them connected through some, some sort of overriding system. You're saying that perhaps just uh, let, let ChatGPT loose. Uh, what, do we, what specifically are you suggesting? Uh, so th that's that's in terms of automation rather than mm. ChatGPT. But um, so for, for automation, you do need um, some skills in-house in order to um, actually program the bots. Um, but to do a simple proof of concept, I'd say the quickest way to get started is get uh, get an expert in um, and um, do a proof of concept on a process. Now with the uh, generative AI and ChatGPT, there are risks with getting your, um, your end users involved. I don't know if you've ever heard the IT term picnic. Uh, no. Okay. Uh, so I used to work at this uh, in when I was consulting next to the IT department, and I was working next to the IT uh, department there. And every now and then, I'd hear them put down the phone and smile to each other and say "picnic." And uh, <laughs> after about a month, curiosity what? got the better of me, and I said, "Why do you say picnic?" And he said, "Oh, problem in chair, not in computer." <laughs> the biggest risk of using ChatGPT is people dumping their company data, uh, information in there. And if they don't know which settings to switch off, their data can go into the model. And this actually happened to Samsung. If you look in the news, um, Samsung's, uh, some of their junior programmers put proprietary code into ChatGPT. And they were like, fix this code, whatever their prompt was. And now because they hadn't switched off that setting, their information went into the model which meant that other people like the general public could query it and get it back out of the model. Oh, so man. they do, so people need to know how to um, get the most out of the technology, but also how to, what not to use it for. Um, yeah. yeah. It, it, it sounds like if I was running a business today, I'd be sort of trying to find out a lot more about it before I did anything else. Mm. How, how does one find out more about it before I did anything else? Yeah, so, so the, the way that we help clients is we will generally have a meeting with the leadership team and say, here's the art of the possible. Here's mm -hmm. what other people in your industry are using it for. And so now based on that, where would you like to point it in the organization? We would start yeah, right. with a, a department or two. It's quite often in uh, HR marketing and sometimes in procurement and supply chain. So mm -hmm. say, for example, uh, draft me a um, procurement category strategy. It does a very good job of, and you can name what category it is. And it does mm -hmm. a very good job of punching out a first um, pass of that. So what we do is we show them examples and then we encourage them to spend half a day within their department just experimenting with it, but knowing what the dangers are, so what they can't put into it and which settings that they should switch off so that, um, A, they're getting the most use out of it, but also mitigating their risk of their data um, being exposed. One of my friends uh, is a tech nerd in uh, America, in Seattle, and uh, he, he asked ChatGPT to write a um, linked uh, Instagram post to his wife for her birthday because uh, she was the love of my life, the center of my being, or something like that. Uh, and, it came, and it came up with a Shakespearean type sonnet. <laughs> <laughs> 
Was um, he found which, out? Are you exposing him here? <laughs> you know, he, he shared it with everyone saying, look what I wrote. And yeah. everyone else said, <laughs> no, no, you didn't. So there's still a lot to learn about how to operate. And I, I guess maybe that's what I'm hearing most from you today. Mm-hmm. So this is a powerful new addition to the kickpad. Uh, it can be there with a whole bunch of other, other systems and process improvements, but you need to learn how to operate it. Yeah. And I've um, heard a good quote recently, which was, um, AI isn't going to replace you. The person who knows how to use AI probably will. So it's a case of Uh, people need to understand what's possible and start experimenting because it is going to become ubiquitous in in terms of it's being built into Microsoft products, for example. It's just going to be um, part of how we operate. You mentioned when we were talking about uh, prior to to recording that there's a new Microsoft product coming out and it's going to... Perhaps you know they're making some big claims about it. What's what's going on? I know you're not a you don't work for Microsoft, do you? No, but no, so, so yeah. So it's just us talking about it. But what, what what is this new this new thing? Is this another three six five game changer? So ChatGPT. Think of ChatGPT. So so Microsoft has in, invested around eleven billion US dollars in OpenAI. So they, a lot of the machines that run OpenAI are it's on Microsoft's infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So they are collecting on their investment now. So actually, it's it's the same brain that s- sits behind ChatGPT is going to become part of Microsoft. So it's called 365 Copilot and total game changer. So if you've already used ChatGPT, you'd have an idea of what's possible for generic requests. The thing about ChatGPT is that if your users, um, uh, they won't be able to put your organization's information in there. Remember, I said earlier that's that's a risk. Yeah. To put your yeah. your sensitive data in there, but with Copilot, it brings it into your organizational context. So it's and it's secure. So you know you don't have that risk of sensitive data being exposed to the general public. So with Copilot, you'll be able to ask it questions about information in your systems and be able to do it in within Microsoft Teams, for example. So some supply chain examples of that might be, I could ask it questions about my supply contracts. Give me the KPIs for this supplier or give me the expiry dates, which ones are coming up. And you're not having to search through systems for that. Like if you're, you just have all that information in your, say your SharePoint, you'll be able to get that out. Or I could get it to generate a draft strategy based on these meeting notes. I could get it to summarize all of the supplier feedback that I've got and yeah. also draft an action plan to address any of the issues that they've raised or draft a presentation based on my supply chain forecast data. What you're going to be able to do with it, and um, it's available uh, in uh, it's at the beginning of November. So 1st of November is generally available. And wow. there are already organizations are already um, getting their ducks in a row so that their information is um, in the right place to be able to access. And so what we're helping clients to do is understand, A, what's possible, but also B, what, um, what requirements need to be met so that you can get your co-pilot licenses, but also give guidance in terms of what needs to be cleaned up in terms of access to information before they roll it out. So if their Mm -hmm. users have access to sensitive data that they shouldn't be able to access, then it could show up in the responses to their prompts. An example might be, um, let's say, I should not know everyone else's salaries, but I don't go digging around in SharePoint to find them out. Uh, Now, if I'm prompting in, uh, in 365 Copilot, whatever access I have to files, 
my chat essentially has access to that data as well. So I might see things that I shouldn't. So that's one of the areas that we help clients with is making sure everyone has access only to what they should so that when they start prompting in uh, in the new tool that, that they're um, only seeing what the, what should be accessible to them. But as far as productivity goes, like the, the, those MIT studies, it'll be in excess of those productivity gains because it's going to be with your information now. It would be remiss of me not to ask how this aligns with our, with my cybersecurity um, processes and and requirements. Uh, is this is is this going to be another another nightmare for me? No. So well, as long as your your house is in order, so for every end user, it assumes whatever permissions that they previously had. So no. a, a clean house will um, you'll, you'll get a good experience, but it also will open up. If your cybersecurity house is not in order, then it's going to expose information. So which is why for clients, we're getting them to do a pilot first and so that they can uh, see whether there are any of those issues that are there, but also to help them to say these are the these are the uh, considerations that you need to have. Like cybersecurity is the biggest part of the missing links business. So we we bring our experts into those projects to say, okay, let's do it. let's do a scan over who has access to what, and um, then Im- implement a cybersecurity policy if you need to, in order to make sure that you're not opening up new can of worms with this technology. Like, there's a, a trade off between efficiency and security sometimes. So we just need to, um, yeah, it, you, you don't do nothing and then switch it on, um, but if your cyber is in good good shape, then it's closer to that than if it's not. Yeah, it's fundamental rule, get your cyber in, in place first. That's the that's mm. the, the, the biggest threat to your, to your business in more ways than you'd possibly imagine. Mm. Um, it's um, it's catastrophic if you, if you get it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, if we were talking in 10 years' time, uh, in 2033, uh, What's going to be like? What do you What do you think? Where's this taking us? Have, are you a, Have you got a, Are you got a futuristic view of where this is taking us? <laughs> I think we'll actually have less to do with computers and typing on computers. Um, well, and- uh, well, Microsoft said a long time ago that typing is just an old typewriter thing. We shouldn't be doing that at all. That's why you're just mm. talking to your phone and stuff now, isn't it? Yeah. And with uh, with what Elon Musk's doing with Neuralink, uh, for example, as well, we could all in, by that time have chips in our brain where we're just like, oh, here come here come the problems for me to solve, and I've just got I've got input into the program. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the future, we might not be sitting at desks in order to solve problems. It'd be more human interaction, um, and it'd be uh, more about um, being out in the field than at at your desk. And okay. talking to to others, I think. Or look, it's it's funny. It was around, yeah. It would be about thirty years ago now that um, my sister first showed me. I don't know if you remember Lotus One Two Three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not amazing. Yeah. Back, back in Zimbabwe, so uh, you already mentioned that we weren't super tech tech savvy uh, there anyway. But she sh- showed me on her desk this thing, and she said spreadsheets. I'm telling you, mm-hmm. I was at school at the time visiting her at work, and I, she said, spreadsheets, I'm telling you, these things are going to change the world. And I was like, I'm telling you, that looks boring. And here we are 30 years later, <laughs> and there isn't or, almost a user that I know that hasn't opened Excel today and done something in there. So it has become ubiquitous in the way that um, uh, we work. So it just um, I guess becomes part of, the, of how we operate. And I think AI will be the same as far as our lives will be easier and it'll be work will be more interesting yeah i think we'll as a result be more productive 
Yeah, I've heard this described before that, you know, we, we come from the, our thinking comes from the industrial age where we had lots of people doing a whole lot of manual processes and bit by bit we put machines in there but we kept people in there. But it's possible in 10 years' time there will be factories that are operating that are making things that are fully automated and what we're doing as humans is solving problems and thinking mm. about how, we, how to improve it. And you actually don't have to go to the to the, the that sort of big warehouse thingy that why would you put, put people in there that's too dangerous yeah <laughs> it's, yeah uh, it'll take a while to adapt to um so i don't know if you know like the um, when electricity first became a big thing factories were still organized in the way that they were around steam um steam powered mm, machines mm. And uh, they didn't realize for a while, they're like, you know what, we don't actually have to have to have the machines in this order because they don't all have to be in the same place to access the electricity. So we can move the workers to nearer to the windows, for example, and they can have a, a better experience. But it took quite a while for, for people to click. They're like, oh, this electricity stuff's great. But there are a whole lot of things that can change as a result of introduction of new technology. So it'll take us a while to adapt um, uh, to what it can, how it can change the way that we work. But it's um, the 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 change. It is kind of hitting that uh, steep part of the curve, in that we've got mm. a lot of change coming our way in the next few years. Yeah, uh, I've also heard that uh, people have said, many people have said that the the rate of technology change that is happening at the moment is the slowest it will ever be in, yeah. other words, in the future. Yeah, in, in the future, will happen quickly. So those changes that you just mentioned may take a while, but not a hundred years like they have in the mm. in the past. That can yeah, be eight years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's been it's been an interesting chat. Tell me about your business. Is it your business? No. So it's um, so it actually started in the late nineties, um, and so as an IT infrastructure company, and uh, so about a decade ago, they made the good call to go into cybersecurity. We've mentioned it an IT, times, yeah. an IT infrastructure company, yeah, that's an old term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that became more IT and cloud. And so automation actually um, started with automating our own processes. And we believe that you should never trust the thin chef. So we've um, broken a few things while we work it, work it out for ourselves. And once we had our own program up and running, mm -hmm. uh, we decided to take the, the offering to our clients as well. So essentially, that's how it came about. And the automation division is a lot to do with new technology. And so generative AI fits nicely into what we do for our clients. Yeah, it's been a great chat. We talked about uh, the uh, unconscious bias of, uh, of of AI and then to be aware of that sort of stuff. We talked about how the operator will still be important. The one that can operate the AI will, will still be important. So that was encouraging uh, a message. Uh, Copilot's going to be the, the term next year that we're all going to be talking about. Will we still be talking about chat GBT, by the way, or is that ugly term going to drop off? Because as a marketer, it sounds like a clunky term to me. Well, so uh, as far as what they call it, no, that, I, yeah. um, I have no idea what their plans are in that, but they've got um, chat GBT enterprise re recently um, announced. So it's, um, it, for those who don't have the prerequisites to be able to use Microsoft's products, um, the, the co-pilot products, then ChatGPT Enterprises is an interesting alternative. So mm -hmm. it's still within your environment. It's just not as seamless to integrate with your existing documents and your, your systems, but it, it does take care of those, uh, those challenges with your, the data security because it lives within um, your environment. So I, I think that they still will be around. They'll just be, um, yeah. you'll have one or the other. Like no one's go, anyone who doesn't use AI, probably won't be around as far as a company goes in the next few years. Mm, good spot to finish. 
You also mentioned that uh, you need to make sure you have the access questions right when you're coming to this. Uh, the, the productivity productivity gains are there. But overall, I think the message that you're saying is this is worth looking at. This is an important part uh, to look at for your business and your supply chain. And it's coming anyway, so you may as well get ahead of the curve. Yeah, so, I'd say more than worth looking at. You have to. Is that right? Yeah. It's going to be going to be a requirement. Yeah. Yeah, because so so it's because it's so easily um, uh, easy to get value from, it'll, those who get value from it will get it very quickly and will become apparent very quickly who isn't using it. So I'd say uh, um, to get amongst it as soon as possible, at least understand what the art of the possible is and what it, how it's relevant to your business. It's not a case of something, a luxury, as far as like blockchain was a bit of a luxury, like, oh, if we've got time and resources and we're big enough to, to use that, then sure, we'll take a look at it. This is a case of it's accessible to everyone, so they need to start using it. Get into it now. Start mm. learning right now. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. It's been a great chat. Thanks, Hope, James. Uh, Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it was good. It's an important topic. You know, I'll, I'll come back in a couple of years and say to you, so what happened? It went totally wilder than yeah. you said. <laughs> Talk to my AI. I'll be in the hammock. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the fear of everyone, but no. Uh, thank you, Matt. Well, it's been a, another great episode of Supply Chain. Thank you for... Uh, hang in here until the end. Uh, thanks again to uh, everyone for listening and, and thanks for your feedback. If you have any feedback on today's interview with Matt or ideas for the show or just want to give me some feedback, hit me up at james.scotland at aigroup.com.au or at my LinkedIn page. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. And we'll be back in a fortnight with more insights into the keys to building sustainable supply chains. Thanks for joining me. This is Supply Circles. I'm James Scotland. Bye for now.